While those of us who live in temperate climates are becoming more aware as to the impact of climate change, over the past three decades, the Arctic has seen warming three times greater than the global average. From the loss of sea and land ice to the thawing of permafrost in the Arctic, the potential for these events to impact climate change are of critical concern. That's where CU Boulder's Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research, aka INSTAR, uh, Journal of Arctic and Alpine Research, is teaming up with SEARCH, the study of environmental Arctic change, to release an ongoing series of short articles called Arctic Answers. Here to talk with us about Arctic Answers is Dr. Brendan Kelly, Director and Chief Scientist for the Study of Environmental Arctic Change at the Arctic International Arctic Research Center at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I just have a few questions um, about Arctic Answers, but I just wanted to start off by saying, what are the conditions in Fairbanks right now? Um, can you describe sort of the conditions uh, where you're located? I, I could, but I, I don't happen to be in Fairbanks at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, it's finally gotten uh, cold there and uh, um, late, late onset to winter though. Do you spend, where, are you, where do you spend most of your time and most of your time uh, with your research and what you're doing? Yeah, so it's a bit complicated. I uh, work primarily out of the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey, California, uh, but I'm employed by the University of Alaska Fairbanks, as you say, in the International Arctic Research Center. Um, most of my career was in, as a UAF employee, then I left and went into policy work for a while and then have come back, but am centered here in Monterey. Right. And um, the sort of the second, our second question is, what was the inspiration to develop Arctic Answers and why was this particular format chosen? Um, yeah, so the inspiration really was the sort of the nexus of my work at many years as a research scientist of the Arctic and then finding myself uh, doing policy work in Washington, uh, and in particular in the science office uh, of the Obama administration. And what I came to realize there is that there are a lot of very sophisticated minds, very hardworking, smart people working on at the science policy interface in governments at all levels, including the national level. Um, that do not have the time uh, to, you know, read lengthy uh, dissertations or, uh, you know, technical articles, not because they don't have the appreciation of the importance of it, but they have so many things they're doing in their day. Um, and so what I realized is that there is a, a gulf between the considerable knowledge that exists in, in this case in the Arctic research community um, and the policy applications. So we know a lot more than we're conveying to people making decisions. And that really made me realize when I came back to the university uh, and to the search program, the study of environmental Arctic change, there's a tremendous need for us to make what we know more accessible. That led to us developing Arctic answers, which are essentially one to two page answers to kind of common questions that people making decisions, policymakers in particular have. Uh, so what we've done is we've designed these briefs 
such that they're written by area content area experts, but they're reviewed not only by their academic peers, but also by people such as yourself, people who are professional communicators and can assess how accessible is this to an intelligent but non-specialist audience. And that's really key to making these work is that um, they're in a format that are immediately identify succinctly what the issue is, uh, followed by a similarly succinct statement of why this is important, why it matters. And then we talk about what's the state of knowledge, what do we know about this at present, and where is this science headed? That's generally what you know policymakers need to know. Um, and they can decide if you know you've succinctly stated what the issue is, and this is of non-interest to them, they don't have to waste any more time on it. But if it is of interest, then they need some help with the context. Okay, but why does this really matter? So, in any case, it, it follows a um, a format that is is intended for uh, policymakers meets their needs. And I think what we're finding is across the board, it's not just policymakers. I mean, a lot of very good work we do in the academies, if you will, um, misses a lot of potential audiences because we don't do that extra step of translation. About the only place we do it are in interviews such as this, you know, which is important and it's good. And there's a lot of excellent science journalists who are translating it. But I would argue it's insufficient, particularly in a time such as we're in in the Arctic where the environment is changing so rapidly. You, um, well, your team, your team described Arctic Answers uh, as sort of two page summaries developed to provide expert uh, and broadly accessible answers to specific questions about the changing Arctic environment. So Brendan, can you give us some, some examples to maybe questions to these answers or, or what are people asking? What have you found yeah. that's sort of the big questions about the Arctic? So, you know, obviously a huge one is um, what does it mean uh, for the people of the Arctic uh, that the sea ice is shrinking dramatically and has been for some time and then is projected to continue doing so for at least the rest of the century. Um, well, it turns out there are many profound impacts. So we've got briefs that describe the impacts of that change on the marine ecosystem, on communities of people in the coastal uh, Arctic, uh, but also for people in mid-latitudes who are impacted by changes in oceanic and atmospheric circulation that stem from that loss of sea ice. So that's one kind of example over everything from a, you know, coastal villages concerns about coastal erosion to flooding in British Columbia or Texas for that matter. Uh, another more kind of local but hugely important example in Alaska is what the impact of sea ice loss is on commercial fisheries. It's a huge uh, economic, uh, of economic importance in Alaska. Um, and a companion piece to that was one we had done on what the impacts of that sea ice loss are on subsistence fisheries, the fisheries that many coastal Alaskans depend on. So this may be a little bit of a follow-up question to that, but you, you mentioned, and you mentioned a few of these uh, individuals, the fact that Arctic Answers is made up possible by a team of, uh, a collaborative program of Arctic researchers, indigenous experts, decision makers, and funding agencies 
Can you describe who some of these people are, these groups are, and, and how they contribute? Sure. Um, so for most of its existence, um, some 20 odd years, uh, the search program has been predominantly um, academic scientists. Um, some involvement from people in the policy world and some from indigenous experts, uh, but not enough. Um, and so in, in our, with the funding that we've just recently received for our current phase, we have definitely stepped up uh, the involvement of indigenous experts and decision makers from the policy world and from uh, the business world, because we've come to recognize that, well, it's, our, our goal remains the same, which is we want to inform policy. We want policy decisions to be not lacking for good information. Um, but we've recognized that science is necessary, but insufficient. There's a tremendous uh, underutilized knowledge that exists in indigenous communities in the Arctic. Um, so co-producing understanding with between indigenous and scientific experts is important, but it even goes beyond that in the sense that if we do that and we don't engage um, people who are in the business of using that information to make decisions from kind of the get-go, from conceiving of the research to uh, executing it and then communicating it, we'll we won't quite get it right. You know, we'll we'll miss the right framing, we'll miss the right format, we'll miss the right um, cadence, all those things that are really important in communicating what you know. So, so when we, what we're really focused on now is co-production of knowledge where the co-producers are indigenous scientific and decision-making experts. Oh, so I, I don't know if, if that was what you were asking. Is that, that get at your question? Great. Uh, so a follow-up to that, what kind of collaboration, if any, happens with other national counterparts on the Arctic Circle? I'm thinking Scandinavian countries, Canada, even, even Russia. Yeah. So we have uh, formal partners in our current program um, in Norway uh, in the uh, form of the FRAM Center, very uh, productive collaboration of scientists in Norway who do an excellent job on making their uh, knowledge accessible to decision makers. Uh, in Canada, we work very closely with ArcticNet. This is one of Canada's centers of excellence um, that um, funds research um, by scientists and indigenous experts. Um, I, in many ways, they're ahead of us in that regard. And, and I've uh, learned a great deal from serving on their board uh, and we collaborate on a, a number of projects. And in Russia, we have um, a partner with the uh, Chukotka branch of the Northeast Federal University. Um, and this is a institution that is, uh, has uh, um, campuses in Yakutia and has considerable uh, indigenous uh, involvement and their staff and fac faculty and students. Um, so those are right now our main um, uh, foreign um, partners, um, but many of the scientists that we engage with are involved in other organizations in that, those in other Arctic countries. 
Why is Arctic Answers open access? Well, you know, this is a, an important trend in, in academic publishing more broad than the Arctic, I think. It's just that, you know, this, it, it's, there are substantial questions of equity if you put um, knowledge behind the paywall. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to oversimplify it because I gather that it's a considerable challenge to an industry that's grown up around making the knowledge in one way accessible, but it's only accessible if, if you can afford to, to pay for it. Um, a, a, a benefit, an additional benefit of open access, I would argue, is timeliness that, um, you know, there is a real urgency to responding to the consequences of a warming planet, particularly in the Arctic, where it's warming so rapidly. Um, so, you know, it's, it, if you're slowing down scholarship by making it hard for people to access, I mean, you know, of course I grew up and came of age, um, you know, depending on interlibrary loans where I'd literally write out on a piece of paper and a, a nice young woman, one of whom is now my wife, would take this information and, uh, you know, send it off to another library in another city or country. And eventually the article, whatever, book, whatever, would get mailed to me. I mean, that was, that was great. It was great service. But now we'd be impatient if it took me more than five minutes to, to find a, a piece of literature. But that's, that's um, I mean, it speaks to the change in our pace of life generally, but it also, um, it, it speaks to the pace with which we can advance knowledge. You mentioned this a little bit at the at the at the top of our interview, but I'd like to just explore a little bit more in how um, you write these summaries to make them accessible to mm -hmm. policymakers, but also mm -hmm. maybe the larger public, and and what's involved in creating them. That's a that's a really good question. So what we've we've taken to doing is, you know, we sometimes we invite uh, somebody we know who has an expertise. We know it's a a topic that um, you know is ripe for decision makers. Um, but we also solicit people to you know come up with their own suggestion. But in that case, we we do confer with them before they get going on the importance of using the format that we've developed and you know, being very uh, clear in the, the kind of language they use. Um, but then we, um, you know, we'll get a, a draft and we, as I say, we have it reviewed not only by other uh, experts in that particular field, but also by people who have the ability to assess the readability, the accessibility of, of the language. And what I find over and over again is most of my scientific colleagues somewhere around the end of the process say, I had no idea this was going to be so much work to write two pages that this is, you know, this is, and, and, and in fact, the reason that we uh, are so appreciative of uh, Arctic, Antarctic and Alpine research, um, picking this up and, and adding it as a special section to the journal is that, um, it is demanding of, of the authors. Uh, they have a lot more rewriting to do because they not only are 
you know, somebody saying, well, you know, you've overstated this amount or this volume or whatever it is or whatever the technical corrections are. But then the, the language uh, to, to just put it in plain English, scientists, uh, we are taught not without some good reason to write in a, in a very narrow way that tends to be use a lot of technical language and all too, all too often jargon. Um, but that's not helpful in communicating what we know to people who didn't take the same chemistry courses we did, for example, you know what I mean? It's, so uh, the process can be lengthy. Um, it always is with peer review, but then we have this additional, hopefully uh, simultaneous review uh, for accessibility and it has to go back and be rewritten and then through the, the normal kind of publication process. But um, uh, Arctic, Antarctic and Alpine research is a perfect place for doing this uh, because it's, it's a fairly nimble um, you know, journal and it's obviously on topic, um, yeah. And I know that Arctic Answers is sort of getting launched uh, it's at least fairly recently. What are the future plans for Arctic Answers? Has, that, has there been any conversation to develop what happens a year, a couple of years from now? Well, yeah, of course there has. And, and um, you know, one of my concerns was, you know, the search program is a, a grant funded program of, of researchers and indigenous experts. Um, and, you know, we, we have funding for the next five years and what will happen after that, we don't know. So I, I wanted to be very clear amongst ourselves and with our peers and with the journal Okay, but let's not assume that, you know, uh, it'd be hubris to assume that we're gonna be around forever. We probably won't be. So I wanted to make sure that we set it up in a way that the journal could continue um, regardless of, of whether search is there. And, and I, I think we have, it's, it's very much like any other section of the journal. It's a, really a community uh, led enterprise search kind of created this and refined it. And two of us in search serve as associate editors of the journal specifically for handling this, but it, it could easily uh, stand on its own, assuming that um, you know, the science community continues and the, hopefully the indigenous community to contribute to it uh, and that it's serving its purpose that um, you know, people making decisions find it useful. I, we, we originally, uh, developed this within the search program and merely published them on our website. And we printed them a nice stock when we were going to do congressional briefings, for example. Um, I, the evolution was that we found, we, we produced a few of them. We shared them with some um, congressional offices, asked them for feedback and their ideas. And they were very generous with giving us good constructive criticism, helped us refine it. Um, but early on, um, one Senate office got back to us and said, these are terrific. We need at least five more of them in the next few weeks because we're going to have a bunch of Senate speeches on climate change. These will inform our speech writers, get on it, you know? And so that told us, okay, well, we're on to something here that's useful. We continued to, to refine it. Um, but then, you know, people rightfully said, well, Brendan, how, how do you know that this is really useful, I mean, what, what are the metrics? How, how can we count up our, our success? And, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, we 
can of course do you know, web metrics and that sort of thing, but that doesn't really get at the answer of you having an impact. But what I was finding is, and I, I, I remember distinctly walking into uh, an office of a, a congressman who I shall not name, but I shall say he's from Alaska. Uh, that might narrow it down, I don't know. But in any case, I walked into that office and the staffer saw me walking in and, and she picked up a handful of our Arctic answers. And she went like this and waved them at me and said, I use these things all the time, right? I have similar, you know, kind of uh, testimonials. I have a letter from Senator Harry Reid when he was in the Senate that, that about the power and the value of, of these. So, but I think it's gonna be important. Your, your question was about going forward, what are the plans? And, and one is, is to continue to, you know, work with decision makers, not just in Congress, but, you know, in local communities in Alaska, tribal governments and things like that, and, and find out, okay, are we meeting their needs? Do we need to make adjustments? Um, and along that line, you know, we are, as I mentioned before, very focused now on co-producing knowledge with indigenous communities. Um, and that's, um, you know, there, there's a, a long and not pretty history of sort of a crash and burn where people try to bring indigenous knowledge into um, something like a scientific journal. And so we're gonna have to pay a lot of attention to doing that in a way that is, is appropriate, um, raises up those indigenous voices, brings that important knowledge to bear um, and still fits in with the, you know, the tried and true and, and power of, of a peer reviewed journal. And lastly, Brendan, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about Arctic Answers? Yeah, that, um, you know, if you're somebody who's interested in what's going on in the Arctic, you might find answers to some of your questions there and your feedback would be incredibly valuable to us. You know, so no matter what business you're in, no matter whether you're just plainly interested or your business is interested or the local government your interest work for is interested, your feedback on what, whether it meets your needs or not would really be helpful to us. And if you're an academic, if you're a researcher um, with an experience in the Arctic, we'd love to have you uh, consider making a contribution because the more questions that are answered there, the, the more useful this will be as a, so, so what I, I guess one another way of saying this, this is not something we own. This is something we're, we're trying to help the, the community produce and, and uh, make useful to people. We really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for, for the invitation.